Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last Lord's Day evening we considered together the importance of God's name for His Son. Children, do you remember what that name is? It's Jesus, right? And do you remember, children, why that name is so very precious, so very important? It's, it's precious, it's important because of what it means, right? Do you remember what it means? It means Savior or the Lord saves. And that points to what, what Jesus, what God's Son does. He saves His people. He saves them from their sins. And that's such good news. We saw that last week. It's such good news for you and me. Because we, we all have sins, don't we? We all need the complete salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone gives. And so God's name for His Son, this this name Jesus, is such a precious name. It, It invites and it urges sinners everywhere to come to Him and to cling every day to Him and Him alone for that salvation. And yet, maybe you hesitate. Maybe you think it can't be that simple. Or maybe you wonder if you should come or even whether you you can come. What if I don't know enough? What if I don't meet his standards? What if just coming to him and clinging to him doesn't work? Or or maybe you you have come but you struggle to cling, to really cling to the Lord Jesus. You see all your sins, all your failures, all your doubts, and Satan takes all of that and puts them in front of your eyes and taunts you and tempts you to think that you see Jesus isn't really that great of a Savior after all. Or maybe you're discouraged and down and even depressed because sticking with Jesus, clinging to Jesus, just isn't as easy as you thought it would be. Or maybe you're here this evening as one who has strayed and is straying from Him. One who has wandered away from Him. And you're here tonight and you think, what is the use of going back to Him? Well, beloved, this is why we need to remember that Jesus is not the only name for the Son of God. Jesus is His personal name, perhaps, or His personal name, but but He also has an official name. Perhaps more accurately, you could say a title. A name, a title that God, knowing the stubbornness of our hearts and the weakness of our faith, has revealed to us in Scripture in order to encourage us and to urge us all the more to come to Jesus and to cling to Him. Do you, do you know what that name, I'm, that title I'm talking about is? It's Christ. Just like the name Jesus, this title, this name is a very important and a, and a most precious and encouraging title. Both the passage we read, Matthew 16, and Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism clearly tell us that. And you can think also of other verses in the Bible. I think this, I read this afternoon, 1 John 5, verse 1, I believe, or 2. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. It's a very important, a very precious, precious title. 
And Jesus himself, when, when Peter confessed him as the Christ, he responded with that exclamation, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. The name, the title Christ, then, is important for us to know. And so with God's help, we want to explore the, the biblical teaching on the importance of this name for God's Son, the name Christ, under the theme, Confessing Jesus as the Christ. And we'll see, first of all, what a glorious title he has. Secondly, what a great work he does. And third, what a gracious gift he shares. So congregation, what are we really confessing? What are we really saying when we say, when we confess, I believe in Jesus Christ? Well, to answer that question, we need to answer another question. Why? Why is he called Christ? Maybe some of you younger children have, maybe you wonder if Christ is Jesus last name. And that's understandable. It's so often in Scripture, it's paired with, with, his, with his personal name, Jesus. But that's not really why he has that title, that name. Lord's Day 12, question and answer 31, it gives us the biblical reason for this name. The question it asks is, is, is why is he, why is Jesus the Son of God called Christ that is anointed? And right away, you see what Christ means, right? It means anointed. And so does the Hebrew name it translates, Messiah. They, they both mean anointed. Now, that doesn't tell us a whole lot by itself. But the answer to that question tells us more. Look with me at the reason for this name given in the answer. He is called Christ because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be what? Here I'm just going to summarize. To be our chief prophet and teacher, our only high priest, and our eternal king. That's huge. That's big. This name, this title, Christ, is not a last name. It's a glorious title. So confessing, confessing Jesus as a Christ is confessing then in the first place what a glorious title he has. Now, just by the way, this answer, if I, might, if I may digress for just a moment, this answer in Lord's Day or question and answer 31 is a good example of the value of the catechism and also the value of preaching through the catechism. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but I know sometimes that catechism preaching can make people feel a bit uncomfortable. And I want to address that for just a moment. Shouldn't we just preach through the Bible? It's a fair question. But you see, at least as far as I know, you're not going to get in any one text of Scripture a full explanation of the title of the name Christ. What the catechism is doing here is to bringing together all of the Bible's teaching on this name into one paragraph to help us understand its full meaning. It's comparing Scripture with Scripture to teach us what a glorious title, what a glorious position our Savior has, and therefore what a great, glorious salvation we have in Him. That's why we value, that's, that's why we emphasize sound catechisms and confessions, especially the ones in the back of our Psalter. No, they're not essential to salvation. God's word is entirely sufficient. But when you ignore sound 
biblical, time-tested creeds and confessions and catechisms, what happens, what you automatically tend to do is to limit yourself only to the Bible passages you personally know and, and remember and, and like. You can tend to cherry-pick. And that can result, not necessarily, but it can result in wrong or at least impoverished interpretations and understanding. So, that's all just said to point out that Lord's Day 12 is a good example of the value of the catechism and of catechism preaching. It tells us, Lord's Day 12, what a glorious title Christ is, what a glorious title Jesus has. When Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 15, who they say he is, Peter confesses, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers Peter by exclaiming, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, this title, this name Christ, is not a title people came up with. It's a title revealed by God. And that points, first of all, to the, to the glorious authority of Jesus, of his Son. To confess that Jesus is the Christ is to confess that he is the Savior ordained, appointed by God the Father. He has God's approval. God said of him at his baptism, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That means he is, at least one of the things there, it means he's, he's come, he has come with, he is invested with God's authority. He is not a self-appointed Savior. He's a God-appointed Savior. He was appointed by his Father from all eternity. And in the fullness of time, in God's predetermined time, he was sent by God, given by God for salvation. Maybe a, a bit of an illustration will help to see this, the significance of this. Imagine you, you had to make a 911 call. I hope you never have to do this, but imagine you, you had to make a 911 call because someone at your home was seriously hurt or sick. And imagine when the paramedics showed up, they, they showed up in an unmarked ambulance with no lights and no sirens. And they came in and they were just wearing ordinary clothes, no, no uniform. You, you'd probably be a little suspicious. You'd probably wonder, are they legit? But you see, the title Christ, the title Christ is like the markings and lights and sirens on the ambulance. It's it's like the paramedics' uniforms. It's God's seal on Jesus. It's meant to remove all suspicion we might have toward the Savior. It's meant to remove any doubt, any doubt about Jesus' authority to save us. The name Christ tells us he is ordained by God the Father. He comes with divine authority. And that's the greatest, that's the most glorious authority anyone could ever have. The title Christ signifies his glorious authority, but it also signifies his glorious qualifications. He is not only ordained by God the Father, he is also, what? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's what the name Christ literally means, anointed. In Old Testament Israel, people who were appointed by God to a certain position or office were anointed with oil. That, that special holy oil was, was poured over the head of that person as a symbol, as a physical picture of being anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so being empowered and, and enabled, being qualified to fulfill that office 
and that position. You know, Jesus is called Christ, not because he is anointed with oil, but because he is anointed directly with the Holy Spirit himself. The Bible tells us about that anointing, doesn't it? Maybe children, you young people, you might know where, where we read that Jesus Christ was anointed when he was baptized. And the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove and rested on him. And a little later, Jesus spoke of himself as the, the Spirit-anointed Savior when he preached in his hometown of Nazareth on that, that verse in Isaiah 61. Maybe you remember that from a few weeks ago. How he stood up in the synagogue and he, and he read that verse which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and, and so on. And then what happened? He sat down, right? And he began to say to them, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What was he saying? He was saying he is, he is the Spirit-anointed Savior. He is the gloriously qualified Savior. To go back to the ambulance example. Imagine the paramedics came. Maybe they did come in a fully marked ambulance with full uniforms on but when they came in when they came in the door they they told you yeah we're not actually real paramedics we're just filling in because you see there's this problem we have in Alberta that we don't have enough paramedics they may have been given the authority to act as paramedics but but you're still not going to trust them are you because they're not fully qualified but the title Christ is saying not only that he has glorious authority, that he's ordained by God the Father, it's telling us he's gloriously qualified to be the Savior. He's anointed with the third person of the Trinity, the Almighty Holy Spirit himself. So yes, you should go to him. You should trust in him. You should cling to him. In fact, if you are to be saved, you must go to him and you must cling to him because he is not just one anointed one among many. He is the anointed one. Thou art the Christ, Peter says. The only one. The supreme one. That's what Peter's confession is saying. And so that's the third thing the title Christ signifies. Not only his glorious authority, not only his glorious qualifications, but also his glorious supremacy. His appointment and his anointing is incomparable. He's ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, our only high priest and our eternal king. The catechism here speaks of three important positions or offices. They were offices God gave to Israel, offices which man had before the fall but, but lost by the fall. Adam and Eve had all three, but... They lost it, and mankind lost it with them. But, but he gave these offices unto Israel by which God's people were to represent and to serve him, prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to look more at the work of each office in our second point. But, but for now, just notice, just notice that confessing Jesus as the Christ means confessing that he fulfills not just one, not just two, but all three offices. Most people in the Old Testament who filled an office only filled one, David David, you could say, filled too, right? He, he wrote psalms, was a prophet, and he was a king. But most prophets were only prophets. Most priests were only priests. Most kings were only kings. 
but not with Jesus. As the Christ, he is all three. Uniquely and supremely so. Confessing Jesus as the Christ means confessing him as our chief prophet and teacher, as our only high priest and our eternal king. There's just no one, there's just no one who compares to him. He is gloriously supreme. Now, Peter, when he confessed Jesus as the Christ, it seems didn't quite understand all that. He especially seemed to miss the point that Jesus had to be the only high priest. And that's why he rebukes Jesus for saying he had to suffer and to be killed. Peter, do you see, he didn't fully understand all that he was confessing. But Jesus did. He understood it was a confession of his glorious supremacy. And that's why after telling Peter that his Father in heaven had revealed this truth to him, the truth that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's why he said in verse 18, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He compares Peter's confession of him as the Christ to a foundation rock. That truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, ordained by God and anointed by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher and our only high priest and our eternal king is going to be the foundation on which he will build his church. The title Christ signifies his glorious supremacy. Jesus is the Christ. What a glorious title he has. Oh, what an encouragement this title is and is to go, to go to him and to trust in him and to rest in him and to cling to him and to follow him. To whom else can you go? But what if I don't meet his expectations? How do I know he'll receive? How do I know he'll keep someone like me? Well, confessing Jesus as the Christ is confessing not only what a glorious title he has, but, but also, in our second point now, it's also confessing what a great work he does. And here we want to look at the work that he does in each of his three offices. Question and answer 31 fleshes this out, so, so let's look at it again, and, and this time we'll read the whole answer together again. The question is, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because... He is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to be our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us and also to be our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that Salvation he has purchased for us. And that's a full answer. It's a hard to wrap your minds around. But it tells us what a great work Jesus does as the Christ, as the anointed one. Let's just take each office for a moment. As our chief prophet and teacher, he fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. In other words, he shows us the way of salvation. He reveals the Father. Remember that? Matthew 11, verse 27, a few weeks ago. Think of him teaching and instructing his disciples when he was on earth. 
opening their spiritually blind eyes. Doing that all the time with his disciples. Even in our very passage, in in Matthew 16, verse 21, we, we read that from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples all the things that he had to endure. He was showing, he was teaching, he was instructing. He's fulfilling the office of the chief prophet and teacher. He's teaching his disciples God's plan of redemption, God's way of salvation, and they don't get it at first. But he doesn't give up on them. He keeps instructing and he keeps teaching and he keeps correcting them. And not just about how he's going to to suffer and die, but, but also about what they are called to do as his disciples, as his followers, as a fruit of his saving work. If any man will come after me, he says in verse 24, he teaches them, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The point is he's, he's teaching. He teaches us in and by his written word, both the Old and the New Testament, through his Holy Spirit, all we need to know. You see what an encouragement that is, congregation. That, that means we can go to him with all of our ignorance and say to him, Lord Jesus, teach me. Show me what I need to know. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. And he will, because that's his office. That's what he does. He does it through his word and through the Bible. So then let's be people who love the word of God. Let's be people who read the word of God. Let's be people who listen to the word of God and who study it and who search it and who meditate on it. Don't let your ignorance, don't let your little understanding keep you away from him, but let it bring you to him humbly and expectantly to learn of him. Because Jesus is the Christ, ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. But what about my sins? What about my failures? What about my weaknesses? Can I come to him with those? Yes. Yes, you can, because as the Christ, he's also, he's also our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. Jesus redeemed, he saved, he delivered, he ransomed sinners by giving up his own body to the sacrifice of the cross. That's what he's telling his disciples about in Matthew 16, right? Right after Peter confesses him as the Christ, he's telling them this is part of my work, disciples. Peter, as the anointed one, I am going to offer myself for sin, a once-for-all sacrifice, so that your sins can be forgiven, so that they can be cleansed, so that your failures can be covered with my righteousness. And he did. He didn't just tell him this is what he's going to do. He did it. He went to the cross. By that one offering, he has perfected, Hebrews 10, verse 14, forever them that are sanctified. It is finished, he said. He has fulfilled that part of his high priestly work. But he continues to do the other part. As a high priest who has passed through the heavens, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens as a sign of his approval, his acceptance with God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And what does he do there? He makes continual intercession. He prays for his people. And therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who come to God through him. 
You see, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to go to Jesus and to cling to him, to not let go of him, to hold fast your confession of Jesus in repentance and faith, to go to him with all your sins, with all your failures, with all your weaknesses. Yes, even, even with your backslidings and wanderings. How can I be sure he won't forsake me? You can be sure because he is the Christ. He is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be not only our chief prophet and teacher and not, o- not, not just our only high priest, but also our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. You know, this is probably the, the aspect of Christ's work that the disciples understood the most because Jesus was always talking about the kingdom. And, of course, they misunderstood what that kingdom meant, but, but they at least got that point that he is the great, the messianic, the anointed king. And we see it even here in Matthew 16. He, Jesus is speaking of this kingly work. Think about that wonderful, that majestic promise he gives in verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a king. That's a king. Think about how he gives with kingly authority the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter as representative of his church. Think about how he promises in Matthew 16 that he will one day come as a son of man in the glory of his father with his angels. How he will come in his kingdom. The point to see here, congregation, is just this, that Jesus is king and he rules. He is anointed king and he rules and he cares for and he protects his people. He won't forsake or fail any of you who come to him and who rely on him and who rest on him. He promises as one hymn, accurately reflecting God's word, puts it, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Oh, what a great work Jesus does as the Christ, as the anointed prophet, priest, and king. He does all, all that we need. Have you come to him, every one of you? Do you know his work in your life? Oh, if you have not come, if you have not come, then this glorious title of Jesus, the title Christ, invites you and urges you to come. There are no standards he asks you to meet before coming to him. Only come to him empty in all your needs and cling to him and you will find him a glorious Savior. And not only a glorious Savior, but also, also a generous and a life-changing Savior too. And we see this very briefly, very briefly in our third point. What a gracious gift he shares. Question and answer 32 speaks about this gracious, this life-changing gift. Question asks, but why are thou called a Christian? And the term Christian basically signifies a follower of Christ. That's, that's what it means. In Acts 11, we were told that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch perhaps even as a bit of a slur, a bit of a way to make fun of them. 
But it seems the believers took on this name as, a, as an appropriate way of describing themselves. Because as the New Testament repeatedly makes clear, believers are united, they are connected to Christ. They are in Christ. So in answer to the question, why are you called a Christian? The believer confesses, because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing. That so I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. In other words, confessing Jesus as the Christ in true faith means not only confessing what a glorious title he has, and what a great work he does, but also what a gracious gift he shares. Jesus shares his anointing. And since Pentecost, he shares it with every single believer, male and female. You see, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you become united to him. You become a member of him. And that means you also become a partaker of his anointing. You share in his anointing. Yes, he alone is supreme. He alone is preeminent. He alone is the Christ. But by our connection with him through faith, he, by grace, shares his anointing. He gives the Holy Spirit, Peter says in Acts 5, to those who obey him, meaning to those who believe the gospel. And by sharing that anointing with us, sharing the Holy Spirit, he restores to us the power to serve God that we don't have by nature. The power to serve him as prophets and priests and kings. He enables us to do what we would not and could not do left to ourselves and left to our own resources. What a gracious gift he shares. It changes everything. It enables you and me to confess the name of Christ. Think of how the Holy Spirit changed Peter. You know, here he's a bit of a I mean, you see both sides of him, right? He's confessing Jesus as the Christ, and then he's rebuking Jesus for saying he's going to suffer. And later on, he's going to deny him. That's who Peter was, left to his own resources. But filled with the Holy Spirit, given by Christ, he, he's, he's changed. He becomes a changed man. He boldly proclaims and he confesses the name of Jesus Christ even to the same people who had killed his Savior. What a gracious gift Jesus shares. That gift enables us also to present ourselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to him. It enables us to do, to do what Jesus says his followers must do. In Matthew 16, verse 24, it enables us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him, yes, even to lose our lives for Christ's sake. As a sacrifice of thankfulness. What a gracious gift. It's a gift that enables us to wage war against sin and Satan in this life with a free and good conscience, meaning fearlessly and sincerely. It enables us by grace to one day reign with him eternally over all creatures. To reign with Christ. What a gracious gift he shares. The question is, in what ways is his gift 
In what ways is his anointing, that anointing that he shares, evident in your life and in my life? How is his anointing that he shares with every believer impacting and changing your life? If you are a true Christian, you will be different. It cannot be otherwise. He shares his anointing with all who belong to him by faith. And so if you're not living, living this way, if you're not living as a Christian, confessing Christ's name, presenting your, yourself as a living sacrifice to him and, and fighting against sin and Satan, if you're not doing that, how can you call yourself a Christian? Maybe you, maybe you hear this and you are looking to Christ. You are seeking to live in this way. But you see your shortcomings. You see your failures. You fall short in so many ways. And then remember that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And he shares this gracious gift. He doesn't ask you to go and serve him in your own strength. No, he gives you the strength and the power to live in true, thankful service to God by his Holy Spirit. So go to him. Go to Him. Cling to Him. Yes, also, if you are not yet a Christian, then go to Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the glorious Savior. Confessing Jesus as the Christ means confessing what a glorious title He has, what a great work He does, and what a gracious gift He shares. Confessing Jesus as the Christ means confessing what a glorious Savior He is. So go to Him. Believe in Him. Cling to Him. Confess Him. And serve Him. Today, tomorrow, this week, and forever. Because Jesus is the Christ. And He shall have dominion over land and sea, earth's remotest regions, shall his empire be. Amen. O oh Lord, we give thanks once again for this wonderful title given to your Son, revealed to us in Scripture. And Lord, we pray that each one of us would really, truly in faith confess I believe in Jesus Christ. What a glorious Savior He is, O Lord. There's no reason for anyone to stay away from Him. Lord, as we think too, we've thought about this title in relation to, especially to our salvation in Him. And we recall the words of Psalm 2. It also speaks of your son being the anointed one and warns also those, the enemies, those who refuse to trust in him. It warns also those to not continue in that way, for then they will be broken. But to come and kiss the son and trust in him. That is the way of blessing, Lord. May each one of us know that blessing in our lives. And help us, O oh Lord, we, 
We think of too of how you told your disciples at the time that you, they weren't to tell anybody that you were the Christ because, because then people still would have misunderstood it and you still had to accomplish that great work of dying on the cross. And, but now, O oh Lord, also as we see in the book of Acts, we are called to proclaim everywhere Jesus is the Christ and to invite sinners to him, to call sinners to him. Help us to do this, O oh Lord. Help us to be the witnesses of Jesus. Help us to serve him with thankfully, to, lay, to deny ourselves, to live in humble and thankful service. And help us, O oh Lord, to put sin to death, to fight against sin and Satan, to do it all, not looking to ourselves, but looking to him who shares his gracious, his wonderful anointing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.